Happy Sabbath. I bring you greetings from our sister church, Damansara Adventist Hope Center. And uh, it was not planned that I was supposed to be here, nor was it planned that I was supposed to be preaching. But uh, I believe uh, God has his plans. Amen. So um, this morning, the message that I'm going to be sharing with you is something I started last year. Um, and it's a series of seven messages. Um, it is the seven I am's in the book of John. And uh, I believe uh, Ben has been studying the book of John with, uh, with you guys as well as with uh, Dak. So it's, uh, it's fitting that uh, I can preach also from the book of John. So how many I am's are there in the book of John? Seven. That's right. Uh, and uh, it's found throughout the whole book of John. And uh, as we all know, I am is a name that God calls himself. And so when we hear the word I am from Jesus, there is a divine significance. There is a description about who God is and who he wants us to know him as. Um, and so the Apostle John writes about Jesus from the perspective of his divinity. Um, and so uh, as he talks about the divinity of Christ, he mentions these seven I am's across the book of John, and there is much for us to learn. Now, last year I, I preached on the first I am before we split, uh, and I was going to talk about the second I am in the book of John, but uh, I realized that a lot of you were not there, um, and so I decided to start from uh, the first I am, which is found in John chapter 6. Um, so for some of you, hopefully not too many of you, it is a repetition, um, but uh, as always, I believe repetition deepens impression. So um, we're going to be looking at the book of John, chapter 6, and our key text is found in John, chapter 6, and verse 35. But before we begin, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads again as we seek the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have promised us that where two or more are gathered in your name, you will be in the midst of us. Father, as we seek you through your word this morning, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be with us. Once again, Father, we ask that your Spirit would be speaking to us. We ask that the words of life that we read will cut through our hard hearts and that it will give us a personal message from your throne of grace and that all of us may walk away having known that our Lord and Savior, our God in heaven, has spoken directly to us. So soften our hearts, help us to put aside the cares of this life, and help us to hear your voice this morning. For this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 6 and verse 35. John chapter 6 and verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. The first I am of the book of John is I am the bread of life. 
And as already mentioned, there are seven IMs throughout the book of John. Um, but this morning, we'll be looking at the bread of life. Now, if you look at the word bread, if you look it up in the book of John, you will find that it is almost exclusively in the book, uh, in, the cha- in, in chapter 6. So if you look up the, the word bread throughout the book of John, you will find that it is pretty much almost except for one instance mentioned in the book of, uh, in chapter 6. And so we can conclude that the bread of life or the theme of chapter 6 is really about the bread of life. And so this morning as we um, study this topic, I am the bread of life, we're going to spend our time in John chapter 6 mostly, and we're going to look at the three stories that are mentioned in John chapter 6 and its relevance to this topic, I am the bread of life. So we're going to look at these three stories and we're going to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the bread of life in the context of the three stories that we're going to read? But firstly, before we go through any of the stories, what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the bread of life? Well, if we go to verse 53, and let's turn there, John chapter 6 and verse 53 to 58, what does Jesus want us to learn in relation to him as the bread of life? John chapter 6 verse 53, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat Of the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Verse 58, this is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So the first thing that I'd like us to remember about Jesus being the bread of life is that we need to eat him. We need to eat this bread of life. There is something special about eating this bread of life over everything else that will give us life. Amen? So we need to learn to eat this bread of life. Um, I think many of us already know this, um, and so this is is nothing new. Now, in the beginning of the book of John, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it tells us, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So how do we eat this bread? How do we consume Jesus, the bread of life, in our lives? We need to do what? According to John chapter 1 verse 14. It says, The word Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. How do we consume His flesh? Well, the next part of it tells us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as as of the only begotten of the Father. So how do we eat of his flesh? How do we consume him? We need to behold his glory. And where is his glory? How do we behold his glory? 
we need to study him, right? We need to study about him because it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, that his, we behold his face through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? We behold God, we behold Jesus through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we need to study the Word of God. And in fact, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 tells us, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. To eat his flesh is to study the Word of God. If that is clear, please say amen. So let us come back to John chapter 6. So we've set the foundation uh, for John chapter 6. To, to know Jesus as the bread of life. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what Jesus is saying is, you must eat me. And by saying you must eat me, he is saying, you must behold my glory. By beholding my glory, you must study the word of God. So let's go to our first story. John chapter 6 and verse 5. John chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Lesson that we can learn here. Many times Jesus asks us, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? As he looks upon the church, as he looks upon our friends, as he looks upon family within our lives, he is continuously asking each one of the question, each one of us the question, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And many times we react like Philip, verse 6. And this he said to prove him, for he knew himself what he would do, verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Many times our reply is exactly like Philip. Oh God, I cannot do anything for my family. It would take a pure miracle. It would take a million bucks for them to receive the bread of life. Oh God, I will not be able to reach my friends. It would take uh, it would take many, many miracles for me to reach my friends. Or, God, I will not be able to reach my university because they do not allow me to share Christ. It would take a pure miracle for me to be able to share the bread of life. Or in our workplace, God says, what shall we, when shall we buy bread that these may eat your colleagues at work? And we say, God, it would take a pure miracle for me to reach my friends at work. Many times, our lack of faith is exactly like Philip in our response. It would take too much money. It would take too much miracles for me to be able to feed this many people. But Jesus continues. Jesus knows what he's going to do. I just want to give a simple analogy. Uh, and uh, uh, it's something that I bring up with the Bible workers all the time. Many times we have um, closed sundown worship at my place. And uh, I love to throw it out to any one of the Bible workers who are sitting there. You do sundown worship this evening. 
And uh, they start to panic. They start to sweat. And at that very moment, um, they give a similar answer. No, I'm not ready. I have nothing to share. And it's exactly like Philip here, right? Because God puts us in situations. God did not tell Philip. Jesus did not tell Philip, hey, Philip, next week I'm going to be feeding the 5,000 and I'm going to ask you how I'm going to feed them. Start planning. He didn't say to Philip, next month, or I give you six months, and I'm going to get to a point in the next six months where I'm going to gather 5,000, and I'm going to ask you the question, Philip, how do I feed them? God doesn't like to work that way. God likes to throw you in situations at the very last minute, and he's going to say, how are you going to deal with it? He's going to put you somewhere one day with 5,000, and he's going to ask you that question, how are you going to feed the 5,000? Just like my brother three days ago or two days ago asked me, will you preach at church? Those are the types of situations that God wants to put us in. He doesn't like you to prepare six months for a message or a sermon because he doesn't need you to do that, as we will see in this story. And this is very important for us to understand because if Jesus is the bread of life, then we should be ready at any moment to feed 5,000. Amen? And so what principle can we learn from that? Let's keep reading. Let's come down to verse 8. It says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Andrew finds a boy with one meal. The one meal was just enough for himself. This is the punchline of the story. I want you to get it. This small lad that Jesus found to feed the 5,000 only had enough for himself that day. The lad didn't wake up in the morning and come with a whole bag or truckload full of food for 5,000. He wasn't expecting to feed 5,000. Is that clear? Jesus used somebody who did not expect to feed 5,000. He just had enough food for himself. So here's the lesson. Jesus wants us to just have enough for ourselves. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what he's saying is, just have enough of me for yourself. Because if you just have enough of me for yourself, you will have enough for 5,000. Amen? If you just bring enough of Jesus Christ for yourself each day, he will use that one meal and multiply it to feed 5,000. That's the object of this lesson. I am the bread of life. You see, when we can't feed 5,000, it's because we never fed ourselves. Because if you really fed yourself every day, you would have enough to feed 5,000 because it's not you. You just need to feed yourself. And when you can feed yourself enough, you can feed yourself in worship. 
You can, sorry, you can feed others in worship. You can feed others when you're called upon to do sundown worship. You can feed others when you're called enough, called upon to do care group study. You can feed others when you're called to witness to your family, to your friends at work because you fed yourself in the morning. If we have truly studied the Word of God that day, we should be instant in season and out of season with the Word. An evidence of your growth in the Word is not whether you can follow the teacher's guide for the next life series. It's not whether you can follow the teacher's guide for Sabbath school. It's not whether you can quote somebody else's study. It's a beginning, don't get me wrong. And we always encourage our young preachers when they get up here, listen to somebody else's sermon and copy it. But over time, as you grow, as you feed yourself enough, God will use that instead. You need to feed yourself, right? So an evidence when we have nothing to say, the problem when we have nothing to say, when you give that that excuse to somebody when somebody is asking you to please share in sundown worship and you say, I have nothing. Basically, what you're saying is this morning, I didn't eat the bread of life. This last week, I have not been eating the bread of life. This last month, this last year, I have not been eating the bread of life. Because if you just brought what you had from the Lord for that morning, for that day, you would have something to share. Amen? And so when, please think carefully the next time when somebody asks you to share, whether in Sabbath school, care group, or whether to preach up here, think carefully. Do not doubt Jesus Christ when He says, I am the bread of life. Do not doubt your morning devotions and your evening devotions. Be instant in season and out of season. Amen? And so look what Jesus was able to do with that bread. He multiplied the same thing many times to feed 5,000. When we have truly digested the Word of God, God can use it to bless thousands. God can use it wherever you go. That's why your morning and evening devotion is so important. All He needs is that morning and evening devotion, and He can multiply that to bless thousands thousands upon thousands of people. Don't study the Word of God, and as soon as you walk, if you're culpotering, don't study the Word of God, and as soon as you walk out the door, you forget it, right? Uh, Sorry, when you walk out the door for work, for study, and you forget the Word of God, when you study the Word of God, expect that morning devotion, that evening devotion may be used to bless thousands, If you knew that when you walked out the door this morning, you might be standing in front of 5,000 people, what would you do? I think you would study your morning devotion a little different, right? If you knew that when you walked out the door that morning for work or for study, going to school, that somehow, at some moment, God is going to put you in front of the lecture theater and you would need to preach the thousands how would you have studied your morning devotion? Would you have studied it a little bit differently? Would you have just skimmed through it? Or would you have wrestled with God to learn something that would bless thousands? 
This is the way that we need to approach a morning devotion. So that's the first lesson that I think we need to learn from uh, the story of feeding the 5,000 about the bread of life. The second, the, the second lesson I think we need to learn is found in verse 11. It says in verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. What can we learn about this in regards to the bread of life? God desires to distribute the bread of life through his disciples. It is a great disservice. In fact, it is a shame to our Savior for us to sit here in church today and one of us or many of us not be able to walk out the door and distribute the bread of life. It is our responsibility as disciples of Christ to distribute the bread of life. So first lesson, please consume it daily for yourself. Second lesson, consume it so that you can distribute it. Amen? John chapter 6 verse 13. So lesson number three. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. When God gives us the bread of life, He doesn't give just enough for me. He doesn't give just enough for 5,000. He has even more left over. The bread of life is so abundant that you have leftovers every time you consume it. Amen? And so, when we consume the bread of life, we should consume it for ourselves because it's more than enough for us. We should consume it to distribute to others because it's more than enough for them, even 5,000. But we should expect that there is an abundance left over to give to even more people. And I'm sure people were taking it home after that, and they were giving takeaway as well after the feeding of the 5,000. Right? So the Word of God, the bread of life, is so abundant that when you consume it, it enriches your life. You should expect it to enrich the life of the 5,000 that God puts in front of you, and you should en- uh, expect that it can enrich even more after that. There is leftovers from the Word of God. Amen? If we knew that the bread of life was so abundant would we not consume it every day? Would we not try to consume it whenever we have free time? Would we not try to consume the bread of life even if we missed morning, we should consume it mid-morning? If we miss mid-morning, we should consume it at lunchtime. If we miss lunchtime, we should consume it mid-afternoon. If we missed it, we better consume it in the evening. Amen? The bread of life is such is so foundational, so important to our lives that we need to consume it and share it with others. Amen? And so when you study the Word of God in your morning devotions the next time, remember it is not just for you. God does not give us bread for ourselves only. God gives you bread Because one day he's going to put you in front of 5,000 and you will have to offer what he gave you so that he can multiply it to others. Remember that. Everyone, if every one of us had this expectation, Jesus would have finished the work by now. 
if every one of our church members sit here and go away from church expecting that every day they must study the Word of God, expecting to give it to 5,000, we would have finished this work, right? Every one of us is going to be standing in front of 5,000. I don't need that many Adventist members to finish the work. But the problem is, one out of 5,000 expecting to do this, and the rest of the 5,000 is reading the Word of God every day and selfishly saying, oh no, I can't do anything with this. The Word of God, the bread of life is not enough for me to win others to Christ. It's not enough for me to live by faith. It's not enough for me to go out and share this Word of God, and therefore I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm going to bury it like the... Um, servant with one talent, right? But God expects multiplication, right? God expects exponential multiplication when He gives you His Word. And it is our lack of faith, it is our selfish desires that bury the power of God's Word when we read it for ourselves. Um, The next story, I know I'm going to have to move pretty quickly now. Next story is found in John chapter 6, verse 17 to 21. I'm not going to read it, but I'll let you guys read it. I will summarize it. The next story that happens right after the feeding of the 5,000 is that um, Jesus disappears to the mountain to pray, and the disciples get into a boat and go through the Sea of Galilee. And as they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, a storm comes. Um, It is very brief in the book of John, and we have much more details in the other Gospels. But the storm comes, and the disciples are afraid. Um, The disciples get scared, and they start to lose their faith. Um, And it's very interesting that in Mark chapter 6, verse 52, describing this event, Mark chapter 6, verse 52 tells us that because they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened, therefore they lacked faith. So Desire of Ages tells us that because they did not understand the true meaning of the, the uh, feeding of the 5,000 and the, the breaking of the bread, therefore, when they got into the boat and the storm came, they had no faith. So what does that mean for us in terms of the bread of life? When we do not consume the bread of life and do not understand it, when we do not believe it and we do not share it, and then we do not have even more left over to share with other people, when the storms of life come, as we get into the boat, we will have no faith. Why do we not have faith when the storms come? Why do we not have faith when God has blessed deck and overflowing and we had to set up a sack and we were still worried about the, the money and the, the um, resources that we would have? When we set up the third church, which we will do uh, by God's grace and, and uh, plant another church, will we again have a lack of faith and say, I don't know, we're pretty stretched with two churches. I don't know if God is going to give us enough bread. I don't know if God has given us enough bread, enough resources to go and plant the third church. Every time we come to some momentous occasion, we lack faith. Why? Because we have not been consuming the bread of life, and we have not been distributing the bread of life. We have not experienced the miracle of the bread of life, and so when the storms come, we have no faith. And we go, why God? Why God? Why did you put me in this situation? And we start to blame God, 
right? If you had, if you had done this, we would not be in this situation. If you were doing this, I would not have experienced this. If you were truly my God, I would not have, uh, you would not have, I would not have experienced this tragedy. Or these people would not have left church. Or that person would not have done this. Or I would not have experienced this. Why do we ask these questions in the storm of life? It is because we never experienced the bread of life in the first place. Right? That is the only reason why we can throw these accusations out at God and the church in our time of storm. It is because we have not been consuming the bread of life and we have this shallow, superficial form of godliness denying the power therein. And so in the time of storm, we blame God. We panic. We have lack of faith. We have no vision. We're not sure whether God will give us the resources because we have not experienced the power of the bread of life, right? If we want to have power in our lives, it starts with morning and evening devotion. But it doesn't stop there. It continues as we distribute the bread to others. Have you noticed that a lot of the praises and prayer requests come in church during divine service through the Bible workers? Do you know why that is? It's because they're distributing the bread. When you distribute bread, you see multiplication, you see power, you see miracles, right? When you put yourself on the front line and you distribute that bread, you preach the word, you teach it, you share it, you do Bible work, you will see miracles. When you don't see miracles in your life, it's because you've been reading the bread, but it has, you've been studying that bread, but it has no meaning in your life because you haven't been sharing it. You haven't been taking the risk to share the Word of God, and therefore you have no miracles in your life. Then when the storms hit, this superficial form of godliness with no power then starts to wonder, where is God in this situation? Why isn't He in the storm with me? And we don't realize that we could tap into that power had we been tapping on it all along. And so the storms reveal to us our lack of faith or the faith that we have built up when we experience it. So the next time you experience a storm, reflect on how you react. Reflect on whether you're blaming God, whether you're blaming Jesus for sleeping, or whether you can sleep like Jesus in a, with peace through the storm, because every day you know that the power of God is much greater than the power of nature or temptations, or anything that the devil can throw at us. Amen? So that's the second story. The third story that I want to bring us to is found in John 6, verse 26. To 20, it starts in John 6, verse 25. After the storm, the disciples get to the other side, and they get out of the boat. And then Jesus comes into this discussion with the Pharisees, um, and the Jews that have followed uh, Jesus across to the other side. And you'll find that in John chapter uh, 6, verse 26, Jesus rebukes these Pharisees and, uh, and Jews. And he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. 
Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. What is Jesus saying here? Basically, Jesus is saying, you are following me because I filled your stomachs. You're following me because you were starving, and I was able to multiply the bread and give it to you and fill your stomachs. What lesson can we learn from that? You know, many times when we come to uh, praise and prayer time, some of the praises that, uh, many of the praises that I hear all the time, and myself included, is about God fulfilling our physical needs. Our spirituality and religion is so tied to our physical needs that many times we say, God, if you don't, if you don't give me food right now, I'm not going to believe in you anymore. Or God, if you don't um, bless me with this, I'm not going to believe in you anymore, right? Or God, if you don't um, remove this obstacle in my path, I'm going to stop believing you. Right? We are so tied to God fulfilling our physical needs that we forget that God's desire is to give us eternal life. The bread of life is about eternal life, not do you have enough to eat tomorrow, not um, is he going to remove this roadblock in your life right now, not um, is he going to fulfill the physical desires of your heart. Of course, God desires to do that. But we completely miss the point when we make our religion about physical bread instead of spiritual bread. Amen? We need to ask God for spiritual bread. We need to ask God for a spiritual bread that will change our hearts, our lives, that will change our character and show Jesus through our lives, not did God fulfill my, um, my physical needs. Right? We, there is an important work that God needs to do in our character. We need to consume the word of life, the bread of life, so that it will change us inside. It will make us fit for heaven, not God will give us physical bread so that I can live for one more day. Right? We need to be very careful um, what is the goal of us consuming the bread of life. There is something more important. Of course, I'm not saying that we should not pray for our physical needs. God desires to take care of our physical needs. But if God did not take care of your physical need tomorrow, would you believe in Him the day after? Or would you continue to persevere and endure to the end because you know that the bread of life is about eternal life more than having one more meal tomorrow? Amen? And as Jesus has this discussion with the, uh, with the Jews, they say to him in John chapter 6, verse 30 to 31, they said therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Again, the Jews were focused on the physical. They will focus on, hey, God gave me manna to eat. What kind of food are you going to give me to eat? What kind of power are you going to give me on earth? 
And they wanted to make Jesus king so that he would overthrow the Romans. So the physical goal for the Jews in the Messiah was not eternal life. It was Jesus, how, how can we make you king so that you can destroy the Romans and make the Jewish nation great again? That was their physical goal. And Jesus says to them in verse 32, 32, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. The lesson that we can learn here is, you know, John, uh, sorry, Jesus here is comparing Moses and Jesus, the bread of life. The significance of that for the Jews is that they upheld Moses and, the Sarah, uh, and his writings uh, almost above the words of God himself. Um, and I guess in the same way as an Adventist today, what are the writings that we hold up almost above the Bible sometimes or as high as the Bible themselves? You know, the writings of the New Testament, the majority of the epistles of the New Testament were all about helping the Jews to understand that God is removing the ceremonial law. The thing that the Jews could not give up were the traditions. They could not accept that God's word is enough and you did no longer need ceremonial law, nor did you need circumcision. They could not give up these two precious traditions of the Jewish nation. What are the traditions that we have in the Adventist church today that do not allow us to fully accept the word as it is? That sometimes stand in the way of us uh, having the Bible and the Bible alone. You know, it amazes me that sometimes I hear pastors quote the church manual as if the church manual was written by God himself. Um, sometimes I hear, um, you know, church members quote the Sabbath school lesson as if the Sabbath school lesson was written by God himself. The only guide that God has given to us is the Bible and the Bible alone. Amen? And so when we read the church manual, don't get me wrong, it is important. It has its place, but it is below the Bible. And it was written by men. And some men can, who wrote those may have made a mistake. The Bible makes no mistakes. So if I see a, a, a uh, body of writing that was not written by God, that does not gel with the Word of God, who do I believe? What should I believe? The Bible. Seventh-day Adventists are a people of the Word, not a people of the Adventist church manual. We are a people of the Bible, right? We are a people that says the Bible and the Bible alone. Amen? The spirit of prophecy, the Bible, is to be our guide. Nothing supersedes that, right? And so we need to make sure. And it's not only just the church manual or the Sabbath school lesson, but sometimes we even want to quote um, Gandhi or the Pope or um, Billy Graham or what's that guy who wrote The Purpose Driven Life? Um, Rick Warren, right? Uh, we, we love to quote all these um, supposed religiously, um, you know, superior people uh, as if they had written inspiration, right? As Adventists and young people, please hear, uh, listen to me. 
do not allow Rick Warren to guide your life. Do not allow his writings to supersede the Bible, right? Don't even quote it. If you have to quote anything, please quote the Word of God and the Spirit of Prophecy. Amen? The bread of life is sufficient. It is abundant. It is overflowing. It is more than we will ever need to walk on the right path. We do not need anybody else to tell us how to live this life. The Bible is sufficient. So the bread of life supersedes tradition, supersedes any uh, supposed superior religious leader in this world. Follow the Bible and the Bible alone, right? If you have nothing else to read, if you have only a little time to read something, let it be the Bible, If you find that you're reading Facebook more than the Bible, you better stop Facebook. If you find that you're reading news more than the Bible, you better stop your news. If you find that you love to read Rick Warren more than the Bible, God forbid, uh, you better stop Rick Warren, right? The Bible and the spirit of prophecy should take up 75% of your life, if if, if at least, right? You should have... You should, if you only have a little time left after study, after work, or whatever, it should be the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that consumes your life. Amen? This is the bread of life in Jesus Christ. But look what happens. Um, it was so important that Jesus know, help us to know that he is the bread of life. He says it three times in his discussions with the Pharisees. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. You'll be able to read it um, in the following verses after that. But look what happens when he validates this in verse 66. Verse 66. So after Jesus says, I am the bread of life, three times to these stubborn Jews, at the end of it, in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. What lesson does that tell us? You know, when a church stresses the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, people get upset. When we don't want to study anything else but the Bible, you get criticized. Why aren't you adding other supplementary material? Why are you only studying the Bible? Why are you studying the spirit of prophecy? The church with its traditions today, the Adventist church today, um, we have so many traditions and we've grown up with so many supplementary material that when we stick to the Bible alone, Disciples will leave. When we have a, when the leadership has a single-minded focus that they're going to study the Bible and the Bible alone, people are going to get offended. They're going to say, you study too much Bible. Why do you want to study Bible in the afternoons? Why do you want to study Bible in Sabbath school? Why do you want to do verse-by-verse study? People will get offended. But I believe that John spent a whole chapter in John chapter 6 emphasizing the importance of I am the bread of life so that we would uphold that importance in our lives, that we would learn to have that bread of life every day, just one meal for ourselves, so that we could then distribute it to others, 
so that we can go through the storm because we've had that bread of life, so that we can put aside tradition and just study the Bible because we believe in the bread of life, so that we will follow Jesus all the way to the end. And when we go through the storm, when we go through the time of trouble, we will have the bread of life imprinted in our minds, sealed in our hearts, so that we may be ready to finish this work, so that the Holy Spirit can take us to thousands and thousands, to, to prime ministers, to kings of the earth, to present this precious bread of life. Brothers and sisters, let us study this bread of life. Let us make it our sole purpose in life. I always remember Randy Skeet's, Pastor Randy Skeet's words. Uh, you know, he, he, he always tells me when I speak to him, David, I always pray that if God needed somebody to share the Word of God in the time of trouble when there's no more Bibles, He will preserve my life to that point. And that is why I memorize the Bible so that I can be that guy that God can count on at that very end of time when there's nobody else and he needs to send somebody and there's no more Bibles. Even your phone is gone. I'll be the guy that would be ready to preach the Word of God because I memorized it. How many of us can be like that? How many of us are truly ready to share the Word of God in the last days? How many of us have imprinted it in our minds, are memorizing it daily, understand the context, and are ready to preach and teach His Word? Let us be that group. Now, in closing, I want to show you two more, three more texts, verse 70 to 71 of uh, chapter 6. It says, Jesus, well, let's start from verse uh, 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Verse 68, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. How many of us would be able to say that like Peter? Verse 69, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 70, Jesus answered them, have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Verse 71, he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. There's one more time in the book of John where bread is mentioned. Let me bring you there. John chapter 13 and verse 18. John chapter 13 and verse 18. John 13 verse 18, it says, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. So Jesus is saying this, and right after that, he gives the bread to who? Judas. What's the lesson that we can learn from this? The bread of life that we have blessed to receive every day, every week in church, has a responsibility. And one day, if we do not allow this bread of life to change us, if we do not every day take what we have from that bread of life and give it to others, if we have not used the bread of life to teach others, one day that bread of life, Jesus will use it to condemn us. That bread of life will be used in the day of judgment to show us how 
uh, all the opportunities that God gave to us, and yet we do not by faith take it and allow it to multiply and to save others. And Jesus will ask us at that moment, what have you done with this word of life that I gave to you? So this morning, my appeal to each one of us is, let us make a decision to study the Word of God daily. Uh, let us make that decision to take that one little bread that God has given to us and believe that God will multiply that to bless others. But if we have not even studied it this morning and will not study it this evening, we have nothing to give to anybody else. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. If you consume me, it will overflow into every part of your life. It will overflow into your family's lives, your friends' lives. It will overflow into strangers' lives that I will bring to you. It will overflow until you are saved. Amen? Let us make that decision to study the Word of God. And if we did, I believe that God will fill sack that we will be overflowing by the end of this year because each one of us has brought, have been receiving that meal that God can multiply into thousands. Amen. Uh, let us stand as we sing our closing song, Give Me the Bible.